Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Automated, our weekly podcast here at Polymath Robotics, where we talk about robots, how great they are, how fun they are, and we even invent a couple along the way. Sitting across from me is a man who strangely seems to have stolen my entire outfit. From the Polymath Robotics t-shirts, to the blue jeans, to the somewhat fancy looking but still quite comfortable sneakers. The only real difference is he's wearing glasses and he has a watch on, whereas I've taken mine off. Who, who, who sir, are you? So, listener note, Stefan is continually sleep deprived from his infant. <laughs> he's actually looking at a mirror currently. <laughs> And we haven't told them this because it keeps them focused on the mirror rather than the rest of the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yet another person in San Francisco talking to themselves. But hey, I'm, I find myself to be a great conversationalist. <laughs> this, of course, is automated. We're the founders of Polymath Robotics, and we do two sections of this podcast. In the first, we each randomly draw a, a card to come up with a robot idea, and then kind of spitball it into buffoonery. And then in the second, we're going to talk about a topic in robotics that I can't honestly remember what we're supposed to talk about today. So, Ilya, what is it that I'm supposed to have really strong opinions about today? Oh, it was going to be how data is the new oil applies yeah. to, to robots. We saw a great comment about a reason to invest in the struggling robotaxi world because of all the data and its infinite all the value. Data. And that's what we're going to talk about, how true that is today. So with that, <laughs> sound effect time, it's time to play our game. All right. So drawing a card here. So actually for business, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat the business card this time. Oh, well, actually, we got to rewind for people who are joining us for the first time. Yeah. What is the game that we so play? So in, in this game... We each draw a card, one for a, uh, a business use case, another for a technology we have to use, and then spitball how to use that piece of robotics technology in that use case and how to kind of create a robotics product around it. And now I, I read a really interesting series of Wikipedia articles today that I, I want to dedicate our, our next business case to. So you know that whole adage that we all learned in elementary school about how the Great Wall of China is the only thing observable from space, blah, 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 isn't really true. But I learned today about a series of other massive walls that theoretically are, are, are observable directly from space. You're talking, of course, about Atlantis. No, better yet. These are walls that protect vulnerable populations from, from terrifying invaders who threaten their very life every day. I am, of course, talking about Australia's dingo wall, as well as their rabbit-proof fence, which is a series of not one, not two, but three multi-thousand kilometer long fences to keep rabbits out of Western Australia. And their dingo wall is a, I think, 8,000 kilometer wall or 6,000 kilometer wall to keep dingoes out of Southeastern Australia so that, you know, sheep can do their sheeply things without too many dingoes getting by. For our American listeners, that's roughly 4,000 miles. Yeah. I don't think they're really convertible. And while we're, while we're, while I was talking about these walls, we also discussed Australia's great and noble crusade that they fought, known as the Emu War, where for about a month and a half in in the 1930s, the military of Australia went to war against the Emu population. The end result of this war was 950 Emus killed, 2,500 wounded, and no substantial impact on the Emu population 
i.e. Australia lost a war against emus. Again, listeners, you can't see right now, but Stefan is reciting this from memory, which gives you an idea of the co-founder that I've chosen here for my company. These are important facts. If you, listener, do not remember this, I don't know what's wrong with you. So I think fences are kind of stupid and dumb. Let's find a robot that can, you know, keep dingoes out, keep rabbits out, and take care of those pesky emus once and for all. And, and you know, this kind of warfare against animals and technology goes way back. <laughs> One of my favorite details about this article is they deployed the Lewis gun, which at the time was a fairly modern machine gun. And if you go to the Wikipedia article about the Lewis it's, it's gun... Like, it was like the Javelin missile of the of 1930s. The time. Yeah, it was a very Let's all piece like, of donate money to Australia so they get more Lewis guns to take out those emus. The emus, yeah. And it, the really fun part is if you go to the Wikipedia article for the Lewis gun, one of the wars that's listed it was used in is the Emu yeah. War. <laughs> it's the most noble of conflicts. Absolutely. So, Ilya, what's the technology that we need to use to, to, to finally help Australia get its pests under control? Well, you know, obviously the Australian outback was made for humans. Yeah. It's the perfect yeah. use case for humanoid robots. <laughs> so basically, like Terminator. Yes. For going after emus, dingoes, and rabbits. Bunny Terminator. Yep. Now, so if we're thinking about it, so humanoid robot, NBD. Obviously, enough people are working on them. They're solved problem. Especially ones that can survive in the middle of desert Australia. <laughs> well, I guess like reasonably... What do you think the the perception range on a humanoid robot might be? I Let's mean, say you can manage to make it walk through the sand, yeah, walk through the bush, walk over stones, not run out of power. Yeah, not run out of power. Maybe a base station or it re recharges with solar. Solar, yeah, okay. Recharges yeah. for twenty days, operates for six hours. Recharges for twenty six days, six hours, <laughs> maybe one hour. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, like, what do you think the effective range of pest control that we could get from one Terminator robot? I mean, you know, for, for, for pests in particular, these are probably nocturnal animals, if I had to guess. Mm -hmm. So actually thermal imaging would be pretty decent. Yeah. Thermal imaging would be spot on. What's the range? I know I know that, not point gray, what do they call these days? FLIR. FLIR has thermal imaging cameras. What, what's the range on one of those? So if you want to see, I guess rabbit is the smallest. So I don't know, five pound rabbit. Yeah. What do you think you can pick that and what's, up? At? What's your goal? Your goal is to well, what? Hit so the, the rabbit proof fence is, I believe, a f is, I believe, 4,000 kilometers long. So I'm trying to find out roughly how many Terminator robots we would need to, to basically rip down the stupid rabbit proof fence and just have Terminator robots walking back and forth. Just patrolling the fence. Yeah. But doing what, though? Again, like, is find, that to catch the thing? Spotting rabbits. Yep. And then opening fire on them. Opening fire. Yeah. So autonomous kill machines. Yes. But against rabbits only. And dingoes and emus. The and big emus three. Oh, wow. The big three. Not kangaroos, though. No, definitely not. We can't, we can't go after kangaroo jack. All right. So our system has to somehow reliably differentiate between a human on all fours and a dingo at distance. Dingoes, dingoes are small, though. A child. <laughs> Much better use case. I mean, like you know what? You know what? We we're all about software interoper interoperability. We're gonna go to Cruise and ask them for their child oh, detection geez. algorithm for this uh, use case. A little, little, little too soon. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to. So yeah, okay. We probably have no matter what 
to get enough data on these targets to before we open fire, we probably have to walk to be within 100 feet of them. Yeah, because you don't want to be shooting at a random pixel on the horizon. Like that's <laughs> that's a, that's a recipe for shooting a person. Okay, so like we we what what are, what's 100 feet in metric? Let's call it 100 meters. Okay, 100 meters. At 100 meters with a decent thermal camera. You could probably you could probably get away with a monocular camera because mm-hmm. your your gun kind of shoots in a straight line. So if you can align with the optical axis of your camera, you'll be pretty well aligned with with the direction you're trying to fire. So every hundred meters, we probably need. Or I mean, maybe there could be a, a roaming range. How yeah. fast do most humanoid robots walk these days? Dead stupid slow. <laughs> what's that? What's that mean? Like a mile an hour, maybe two miles an hour. Okay, so I just I just looked it up, including all three fences. The rabbit proof fence is two thousand miles long. There you go. So we probably need in the range of two thousand Terminator robots. So yeah, 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 fine. I mean, the other thing you could do is half the time it shoots, and half the time the loudspeakers just make the shooting noise <laughs> to scare away the animal away from the fence. That would be more effective. Yeah, actually, you know, you mentioned it, but one of the things, one of my side projects at ClearPath was actually mounting an air cannon mm-hmm. on a on a grizzly yep. and driving it around a vineyard to let it off randomly yep. because they set up these air cannons to scare off crows who would eat the grapes for a vineyard. But crows are smart, so they'd figure crows that out. Crows are smart, so they'd figure out that the air cannon was always in the same spot. Uh, and the grizzly was an electric vehicle, very quiet. So just so teleport quietly, around from their perspective. slowly sneak up on them. Yeah. You know, taking half an hour to travel 20 meters <laughs> and then let off the air cannon. But does the air, cannon, the air cannon doesn't actually hurt them. No, but it's, it's, it's a startle reflex. But like eventually they would just learn to ignore the air cannon. I mean, I feel if you're sitting at your desk. And I come up behind you and I randomly clap really loud. I think we're about to go on a big tangent for crow intelligence. Yeah. There was a whole thing about how uh, a town was infested with crows, had 2,000 crows. They rallied up a posse to go shoot the crows, shot two crows, and all the crows left. There's there another go. about how a guy, how they had a person wearing a mask go bother a bunch of crows. And after like the third day, crows started a- attacking whoever wore the mask. Was it a crow mask? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure eventually they did. They'd grow weary of the sneaky grizzly. But going back to the main point, if if we need two thousand Terminator robots, what 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 do you think? Like an agility robot, what do you think that costs? Or a Tesla humanoid robot, what do you think that costs? Tesla, I don't know. Agility, I mean, I'd, I'd have to guess they're if they're building a factory for these things now, they're probably targeting fifty to hundred k range. Okay. So let's call it fifty to give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. So fifty k per robot. Okay. And then probably 50K a year in software to keep it running. Yeah, or something. And and Some and and then you optical know optical cameras and if you were to make up building, let's say you need a, a base station for charging every yeah. 10 miles. Yeah. So you need 200 of these base stations. What's the cost of each of these? Hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. I mean it'd be a little hut to protect you from the weather. So I think we're probably looking at a range of ten to fifty thousand dollars per mile to patrol it with Terminator robots. That's and, actually becoming comparable. Um, no. Fencing, fencing is pretty expensive. High-grade fencing. Ten to $50,000 per year per mile. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think, reasonably. Yeah. And one time in inflation-adjusted dollars, the rabbit-proof fence costs $20,000 per, per mile. All right. So maybe not Terminator robot. However, it can't chase after the emus. 
So I think in, in a in a further episode, we need to expand on hunter killer terminator robots. They probably would have to go faster, so maybe they need wheels and just abandon the legs altogether to finally go after the emu hordes and and reclaim Australia. White legs. <laughs> Which might be our next big t-shirt. All right. So with that being said, what's the name of the robot? It's your turn to come oh, up with a good name. I mean, I think it's called the Rabbit Proof Terminator. Oh. <laughs> so that being said, Elia, the other day we saw a quote about why investors should be pouring more money into into the robo taxi companies because these vehicles are driving through the cities and they're just connect collecting so much data, infinite amounts of data, and that's why you know. A couple more billion dollar checks should be written to to robo taxi company ABC whatever. What do you think about that? I mean, the data data is the new oil, right? It's it's one of those arguments that really seems valid. Mm-hmm. And you know that like perfect. There's a million memes about this about the Gaussian curve with like the idiot on one end thinking yep. one thing and the smart person on the other end thinking the other thing. It's one of those things of like <laughs> of. If you know nothing about the space, data is oil, makes sense. Yep. If you're really sophisticated, data can be valuable. Yep. But if you're like 90 plus percent of the middle of the standard deviation, yep. it's very difficult to transport that data from use case to use case, from sensor to sensor. Let's say, let's say, you know, finance focused talking heads always are the smartest people in the world. I mean, that's that's why I follow every piece of investment advice Jim Cramer ever gives. You know, I've lost my home and <laughs> I owe money to everyone I know. But one day, me and the Cramer are are going to be friends. Isn't the anti-Cramer portfolio up like 30 <laughs> percent? Year great. over year? Yeah, like basically. <laughs> I don't know. Look it up. It's great. So so let's assume who, the, the, the finance talking head who said this was incredibly smart. If you had all of Cruz's data of San Francisco, what would you need to do to squeeze value, to, to squeeze gold out of that yard? I mean, the question becomes, what what are you trying to do, right? You data know, by itself data is like, yeah, but data. So the, the parallel. Advertising. Yeah, advertising. Yeah, great. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm going to figure out the frontage of people's houses yep. from this extremely large, yep. difficult to work data set. Instead of the Redfin API. Listen, Facebook has facial recognition. If I take all of the the video data from from Waymo, Cruise, whatever, I could track every time you've been seen in public by one of those vehicles. I extremely doubt it. GPS connect it, and you know, boom, I could have some information on your shopping habits. On, on where I went the weekend to yep. get my pictures framed. Yep. Yeah, it's very valuable data. <laughs> Which you also get, you know, by having a plug in on an app on my phone. Or, or just an Android phone. <laughs> like, hello, Google. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's, it's, what are you trying to do with that data? So, so the, the analogy I could draw is to large language models, which are yep. very popular right now. Yep. And is this whole thing like, well, if you just make the large language model bigger mm-hmm. with more parameters and more parameters, it will get more intelligent. And I'm making air quotes here yep. for the listeners. Ish. It's 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 sort of approximately true that more parameters and more training data leads to better results, mm-hmm. but that I I haven't seen conclusive proof that that leads to actually more intelligence. It leads to a better fit to the overall data. So the analogy here for cars is: if I had a scan of all of San Francisco, 
I could more easily make an autonomous car operate in San Francisco. Yeah. Because essentially, know. if you knew where all the obstacles are, you can just be a line following robot with obstacle detection. Exactly. Right. So like, great. But I don't know if that actually generalizes to I can make a level five autonomous car. Yeah. I don't think those two things are correlated. I think if you have a lot of money and time, you can use that data to then train more neural nets or train more algorithms or develop new techniques. And so far, you're assuming it's all unstructured, like, like yeah. where you need way more and you need way better algorithms to get any value out of it. But if instead you need to go through a whole labeling step, you know, you you take this, I don't know, what's bigger than a petaflop? Exaflops of <laughs> Egg, data. You, you take these hundreds of exaflops of data and, and then you suddenly need to spend... Enormous amounts of hundred million dollars in exaflop. Yeah, billion dollars in exaflop and labeling. Yeah, yeah, enormous efforts to not really generate anything conclusive. Yeah. To, to your example on facial recognition, I guarantee these cameras are not accurate enough to do that from really? anywhere from anywhere more than 20, 30 meters away. Really? Because they're low resolution, right? They're they're low resolution compared to what you think of as an actual camera. When you're doing car navigation, mm -hmm. you don't need high resolution cameras. You need like a megapixel, two megapixels, five megapixels, maybe mm -hmm. not thirty of your high end camera, right? And most of the time, you you really want high dynamic range yep. or global shutter or any of these other technologies that give you better data quality for machine vision, mm -hmm. which inversely correlates with image sensor size. Because <laughs> generally, <laughs> these really big image sensors aren't global shutter. There's a yeah. few now, but they're very, very rare. Yep. And, and all that means is that you get this fairly low resolution, fairly noisy image that is helpful if the person's standing really close. But being able to facial recognize somebody from way down the street, I, I would severely doubt it. You're getting three or four pixels. Good luck. Yeah. Basically, you don't think Waymo could do that. The, the surveillance state that we all hope for, where Waymo knows where everyone is all the time, probably not, not reasonable with their current sense. I mean, set. they would need one car per block uh, <laughs> over the entire city, right? Like at that point. And at that point, you might as well just put up surveillance cameras. Right? I mean, it's, it'd be, it, it, it's the difference between making a Terminator to take out the emus versus building a fence. fence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I heard a story recently about a big company, Data's New Oil, Data's New Oil, save all of the stuff. We need all of the data. And then they asked their, their partner, all right, cool. We have all this data that we're paying all this money to store and that we paid all this money to collect. What do we do with it now? And the, and the partner went out and got a quote and it was like $50 million to get it later. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like, there's so much information collected. I, I've talked about this before, but your LIDARs generate 500, 200 to 500 megabits a second. Yep. Your cameras are generating another 100, 50 to 100. If you want to record an hour drive, you're filling up the storage of most normal consumer disks. Yep. It's so bad that Amazon and other big data storage services operate these services where they basically send you a disk <laughs> in the mail. What's that called again? It's like Ava Snowball or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Avalanche maybe. Some, some snow related. There, there, there's one where it starts to be more efficient to move data by having a big rig full of hard drives yeah. drive across country and then try to put it over the internet. To put it over the internet. Yeah. Side note, XKCD has a great explanation about how that will always be true. <laughs> Our data storage medium will always be faster for large data sets yep. than, than the internet. Anyway, so so there's a huge amount of effort to collect the data. There's a huge amount of effort to transport the data. There's a huge amount of effort to store it in a retrievable way so that you can then, oh, I want to see this drive 
that we took four weeks ago when there was a red light and a pedestrian <laughs> ran across the road and like, good luck finding that data set in your billions of bits. I've actually met a couple of different efforts to make data like that more searchable. There is one a huge problem. There was one in like a mid-sized autonomy service provider company where they're trying to make it like natural language searchable using LLMs. I think that initiative has since died because the person in charge of it left. It's a great idea. Yeah. But like enormous amounts of effort. Yep. You're, you're talking about, think, think about just data density wise, computers have just barely started to be able to grasp written language. Mm-hmm. And we can do some tricks with generative neural nets for images and sort of recognize images. And then this problem set is, here's uncorrelated video and motion and LIDAR data that nobody's put any effort <laughs> figure into. Figure it out. Go ahead, figure it out. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, my friend's Plex server that I'm on that has like a petaflop of movies and, and, and TV shows that are totally legal, of course. That Plex server doesn't actively scan what's in it because that itself is too much data. And we're talking like video files with descriptions added. Yeah. That is too hard. Yeah. So this this is an enormous problem. So again, the, the answer is like, yes, the data is somewhat useful. And LLMs today wouldn't have been built today without enormous data sets of text. UN translations of legal documents and mm-hmm. even like Enron email dumps. If you want yep. to look up the history of how automated spell check, e- spell check yep. came about, there's a bunch of like Enron emails that were used to create spell check. None of this could have been created without the data having stored. Yep. But but, but that was all very low dimensional yeah, data. Autonomous vehicle data is so much bigger. <laughs> you know, the entire Library of Congress could be stored on one disk today. Yep. You cannot store a, a five hour drive. You can't drive. You can't you can't store a drive from San Francisco to L.A. on, on a single disk. Yep. And that is one drive in one circumstance <laughs> on one particular vehicle. Yep. So the, the problem is so many orders of magnitude beyond what we're able to process. So it's not so much that like data is the new oil. It's maybe more that data is the new sand. There's a lot of it. Some people sometimes can make concrete. If you store it, it causes a whole bunch of problems and a whole bunch of different ways. It can corrode things. It can blow off. It can do all sorts of whatever. I, th- I think it's even, I like the oil analogy because it's it's more like, it's not, oil isn't a barrel of data. Oil is a writ to a piece of land that might have oil under it. <laughs> and like, first you got to survey and yep. then you got to build a pump station and then you got to do a bunch of stuff to actually get it out and cart it around and refine it. After all of that effort, Maybe you didn't actually make oil because there was nothing there to begin with because the data was useless. <laughs> and maybe the price of oil is dropped by half. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's really interesting because it ends up being that a lot of these data efforts are very insular to the particular companies that are using them and, mm-hmm. and their methodologies and their tooling. And we're starting to see, you know, Foxcliff, for example, we keep bringing up as this example of a tool that's trying to be across different users. But even they aren't really focusing yet on the scale of this petabytes of data that mm-hmm. you have to search through an index. And, and these are real big data problems that nobody solved yet. And that's before you even start using this data for anything productive. <laughs> like, you're not even talking about like train a magic neural net. It's just like access the data. Show yeah. me the file from three weeks ago with a red stoplight. Is enough of a challenge. Is enough of a challenge. Yeah. So the other thing, we, we run into a small scale version of this problem mm-hmm. where we store ROS bags or MCAP files and then we also run metrics based on Prometheus. And we yep. have this blog post from, from our used to be intern, now full-time David, who's been excellent, where correlating incidences in our metrics can then automatically call forward what specific bag file we need to go digging. 
So a concrete example of this is every time a vehicle emergency stops and emits a metric that we can then use to dig through our bag files to find the last 30 or 60 seconds worth of data from that particular vehicle before the e-stop occurred. Yep. So we can try to reconstruct it because ultimately the path forward to making this a solvable problem at our scale or at most company scale is you throw away as much of this data as possible. Yep. So the other flip side of this is a lot of people are worried about, well, if you operate your polymath software in our, in our industry, mm-hmm. you're going to capture all this valuable data. And we have to explain to them that, no, 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 most of it we're throwing away. Yeah, We can't possibly store all this. So we're capturing these tiny little 30-second snippets that are only around specific incidents that we need to, we've pre-designed the system to Some specific to catch. time when the, the visual sensors and the LiDAR don't agree. Right. Or some specific time when we fail in a really interesting way. Yeah, our acceleration is too high or deceleration is too high. We've emergency stopped. We, uh, an obstacle has popped into view where there was none before. Those kind of cases are the ones that will trigger this data collection because raw, unmetered data collection of driving on the same space over and over and over doesn't actually forward our approach. Yep. And for most companies our size, it would be a very large lift. You'd spend a lot of money on labeling and yep. data analysis and moving the data. And labeling out. itself is a whole thing. Like at, at Starsky, I think in total, we spent a million dollars on labeling data out of something like 20, 22 million dollars raised. The we we actually I think like eight hundred thousand of that or seven hundred thousand of that was with one particular labeling provider who's everyone everyone promises 95% accuracy. This one partner, their accuracy averaged 75%. So literally that seven hundred thousand dollar investment was a net negative to our overall program and our, our model improved when we removed all of that from the from the mix. After already having spent the $700,000 money that, you know, we could not possibly get back or get a refund on. So even once you've accessed the data, as you try to go through the whole training process, it keeps on getting more and more complicated. We had to build complicated structures for figuring out how to test the stuff that we got back from labelers and how to compare different labelers against each other. And then and then even which snippets of new data were worthwhile for adding into the pipeline. And I think all of this goes to say that there's this almost fascination with machine learning and AI as the primary parts of robotics. And I'd, I'd argue that they are, while they, while they may be the flashy parts, they are at best the supporting cast to things like controls, things like good software, things like best practices. Yeah, and one more interesting note on the labeling problem. I keep kind of mentioning that this is not an approach valuable at our scale of business. But even if you look at Tesla, one of the reasons Tesla ended up building their own custom, very cool if you want to look at like engineering days, they have some pretty good tech around their own machine learning servers. And they call it, I think it's like the Dojo computer or something. Mm-hmm. I forgot exactly. The reason they spent all this time to build these custom chips and custom servers is they the trick that they do is they run very high visual fidelity quality simulations. And in the simulation, everything is accurately labeled because in the simulation knows what a car is and knows <laughs> where it is at any given time. And so they simulate out the sensors as they would see the world and run their algorithms as if they're in the real world. But the simulator provides your ground truth off the bat with 100% accuracy. And that's the trick to get over this labeling problem. Mm-hmm. And that allows them to train up their system so much faster. And that's become a huge competitive advantage for them in the machine learning space. The downside of that, though, of the simulation space, which we've seen, is you won't catch all these weird black swan events because the simulator will only show you what the it humans who designed the, the simulator 
have possibly thought of occurring. Yeah. Right, the example I keep giving is there's a video online of a Tesla following a truck call, carrying stoplights. Yeah. And the light is just in the right way, reflecting off the stoplights that it makes them look active. And so the autopilot thinks that there's a stream of stoplights flying towards the Tesla because what training set has a truck carrying stoplights? So this type of problem and like people often call, like think about this as like edge cases and, and so on and so forth. They're, they're called autonomous driving scenarios, ADSs. More than one person has postulated that there are more ADSs in the world than there are grains of sand on earth, than there are atoms in the universe. And that conceivably, even if you had the thousand, the thousand smartest people in the world about what happens on, on the road, you would never be able to create all these ADSs. And a, the counterpoint is, okay, then we need to collect infinite training data yeah. and take the infinite training data and turn it into all these infinitely modeled ADSs. But that doesn't seem like an actually tenable solution. Yeah. As, as your amount of data approaches infinity, you, you're, you're getting closer and closer to noise. Yep. Like fundamentally, you're, you're, just, you're just generating noise. And if you're trying to train a data set off of noise, you're always going to get really terrible results. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a losing battle. And so sum up, data sort of the oil patch, maybe. <laughs> but I think people don't understand the incredible amount of work that you need to do yeah. to use that as a, even a starting point. And that it's functionally valueless without that work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that being said, what are we talking about next week, Ilya? Next week or two weeks from now or three weeks from now, knowing our luck. Yep. Well, there's going to be a few holidays coming up. Yep. We'll holidays be might, in fact, mean that we can do more of these episodes. Why should I be with my family cutting turkey exactly. when I can be sitting on a couch doing a podcast? <laughs> yeah, we'll be at CES You're this Canadian, year. though. Don't you guys eat, like, the Canadian bacon at Thanksgiving? And also early in October <laughs> instead of November. Yeah. We'll be at CES this year. Yep. And that'll be exciting. So if you're going to be at CES, come by our booth. You can drive some robots, talk to us about them. And, and if you want, we can even spitball robots with you. Absolutely. We are looking for, for guest visits on the show. So if yep. you're somebody with deep robotics experience who would like to come chat with us, please who, reach out. Who's not unpleasant to be around. <laughs> if you're very unpleasant, it'll be a Stefan and you episode. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also hiring a little bit. So yeah. if you're a senior roboticist or if you're a, a safety-focused roboticist, please reach out. We have uh, job postings up. We'd love some help building all these robots and helping automate the world. Yeah. yeah. And, and with that us. being said, thank you all for joining us. We'll talk to you next week-ish. See you next time. Bye.